Letter sixteen of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter sixteen. My dear lady, I will now acquaint you with the good effects my behaviour to Mrs. Jukes has had upon her as a farther justification of my conduct towards the poor woman that she began to be affected as i wished appeared to me before i left the hall not only in the conversations i had with her after my happiness was completed but in her general demeanour also to the servants to the neighbours and in her devout behaviour at church and this still further appears by a letter i have received from miss darnford I dare say your ladyship will be pleased with the perusal of the whole letter, although a part of it would answer my present design, and in confidence that you will excuse, for the sake of its other beauties, the high and undeserved praises, which she so lavishly bestows upon me. I will transcribe it all. From Miss Darnford to Mrs. B. My dear neighbour that was, it must depend upon your known goodness to excuse me for not writing before now in answer to your letter of compliment to us, for the civilities and favours, as you call them, which you received from us in Lincolnshire, where we were infinitely more obliged to you than you to us. The truth is, my papa has been much disordered, with a kind of rambling rheumatism, to which the physicians, learnedly speaking, give the name of arthritica vega, or the flying gout, and when he ails ever so little, it signifies nothing concealing his infirmities where they are so well known and when he cares not who knows them he is so peevish and wants so much attendance that my mamma and her two girls one of which is as waspish as her papa you may be sure i don't mean myself have much ado to make his worship keep the peace and i being his favourite when he is indisposed having most patience if I may give myself a good word, he calls upon me continually, to read to him when he is grave, which is not often, and to tell him stories, and sing to him when he is merry, and so I have been employed as a principal person about him, till I have frequently become sad to make him cheerful, and happy when I could do it at any rate. For once, in a pet, he flung a book at my head, because I had not attended him for two hours, and he could not bear to be slighted by little bastards, that was his word, that were fathered upon him for his vexation. Oh, these men, fathers or husbands much alike, the one tyrannical, the other insolent, so that between one and t'other a poor girl has nothing for it but a few weeks' courtship, and perhaps a first month's bridalry, if that. And then she is as much a slave to her husband she was a vassal to her father. I mean, if the father be a Sir Simon Darnford, and the spouse a Mr. B. But I will be a little more grave, for a graver occasion calls for it. Yet such as will give you real pleasure. It is the very great change that your example has had upon your housekeeper. You desired her to keep up as much regularity as she could among the servants there, she is next to exemplary in it, so that she has every one's good word. She speaks of her lady not only with respect, 
but reverence, and calls it a blessed day for all the family, and particularly for herself, that you came into Lincolnshire. She reads prayers, or makes one of the servants read them, every Sunday night, and never misses being at church, morning and afternoon, and is preparing herself, by Mr. Peter's advice and direction, for receiving the sacrament, which she earnestly longs to receive, and says it will be the seal of her reformation. Mr. Peters gives us this account of her, and says she is full of contrition for her past misspent life, and is often asking him if such and such sins can be forgiven, and among them names her vile behaviour to her angel lady, as she calls you. It seems she has written a letter to you, which passed Mr. Peter's revisal, before she had the courage to send it, and prides herself that you have favoured her with an answer to it, which, she says, when she is dead, will be found in a cover of black silk next to her heart. For anything from your hand, she is sure, will contribute to make her keep her good purposes, and for that reason she places it there, and when she has had any bad thoughts, or is guilty of any faulty word, or passionate expression, she recollects her lady's letter, which recovers her to a calm, and puts her again into a better frame. As she has written to you, tis possible I might have spared you the trouble of reading this account of her, but yet you will not be displeased, that so free a liver and speaker should have some testimonial besides her own assurances, to vouch for the sincerity of her reformation. What a happy lady are you, that persuasion dwells upon your tongue, and reformation follows your example. Your ladyship will forgive me, what may appear like vanity in this communication. Miss Darnford is a charming young lady. I always admired her, but her letters are the sweetest, kindest. Yet I am too much the subject of her encomiums, and so will say no more, but add here a copy of the poor woman's letter to me, and your ladyship will see what an ample correspondence you have opened to yourself, if you go on to countenance it. Honoured madam, I have been long labouring under two difficulties, the desire I had to write to you, and the fear of being thought presumptuous if I did. But I will depend on your goodness, so often tried and put pen to paper, in that very closet, and on that desk, which once was so much used by yourself, when I was acting a part that now cuts me to the heart to think of. But you forgave me, madam, and showed me you had too much goodness to revoke your forgiveness, and could I have silenced the reproaches of my heart, I should have had no cause to think I had offended. But, oh, I, madam, how has your goodness to me, which once filled me with so much gladness, now on reflection made me sorrowful, and at times miserable, to think I should act so barbarously as I did, by so much sweetness and so much forgiveness. Every place that I remember to have used you hardly in, how does it now fill me with sadness, and makes me often smite my breast, and sit down with tears and groans, bemoaning my vile actions and my hard heart. How many places are there in this melancholy fine house that call one thing or other to my remembrance, that give me remorse? But the pond and the wood-house, whence I dragged you so mercilessly, after I had driven you to despair almost, what thoughts do they bring to my remembrance? 
than my wicked instigations. What an odious wretch was I! Had his honour been as abandoned as myself, what virtue had been destroyed between his orders and my too rigorous execution of them? Nay, stretching them to show my wicked zeal, to serve a master, whom though I honoured, I should not, as you more than once hinted to me, but with no effect at all, so resolutely wicked was my heart, have so well obeyed in his unlawful commands. This honour has made you amends, has done justice to your merits, and so atoned for his fault. But as for me, it is out of my power ever to make reparation. All that is left me is to let your ladyship see that your pious example has made such an impression upon me that I am miserable now in the reflection upon my past guilt. You have forgiven me, and God will. I hope, for the creature cannot be more merciful than the Creator. That is all my hope. Yet sometimes I dread that I am forgiven here, at least not punished, in order to be punished the more hereafter. What then will become of the unhappy wretch that has thus lived in a state of sin, and so qualified herself by a course of wickedness as to be thought a proper instrument for the worst of purposes? Pray, your ladyship, let not my honoured master see this letter. He will think I have the boldness to reflect upon him. When God knows my heart, I only write to condemn myself and my unwomanly actions, as you were pleased often most justly to call them. But I might go on thus for ever accusing myself, not considering whom I am writing to, and whose precious time I am taking up. But what I chiefly write for is, to beg your ladyship's prayers for me. For, oh madam, I fear I shall else be ever miserable. We every week hear of the good you do, and the charity you extend to the bodies of the miserable. Extend, I beseech you, good madam, to the unhappy dukes, the mercy of your prayers, and tell me if you think I have not sinned beyond hope of pardon, for there is a woe denounced against the presumptuous sinner. Your ladyship assured me at your departure, on the confession of my remorse for my misdoings, and my promise of amendment, that you would take it for proof of my being in earnest, if I would endeavour to keep up a regularity among the servants here, if I would subdue them with kindness, as I had owned myself subdued, and if I would endeavour to make every one think that the best security they could give of doing their duty to their master in his absence was by doing it to God Almighty, from whose all-seeing eye nothing can be hid. This, I remember your ladyship told me, was the best test of fidelity and duty that any servants could show, since it is impossible without religion but that worldly convenience or self-interest must be the main tie, and so the worst actions might succeed, if servants thought they should find their sordid advantage in sacrificing their duty. So well am I convinced of this truth, that I hope I have begun the example to good effect, and as no one in the family was so wicked as I, it was therefore less difficult to reform them, and you will have the pleasure to know that you have now servants here, whom you need not be ashamed to call yours. Tis true, I found it a little difficult at first to keep them within sight of their duty, 
after your ladyship departed. But when they saw I was in earnest, and used them courteously, as you advised, and as your usage of me convinced me was the rightest usage, when they were told I had your commands to acquaint you how they conformed to your injunctions, the task became easy, and I hope we shall all be still more and more worthy of the favour of so good a lady and so bountiful a master. I dare not presume upon the honour of a line to your unworthy servant, yet it would pride me much if I could have it. But I shall ever pray for your ladyship's and his honour's felicity as becoming your undeserving servant, K. Dukes. I have already, with these transcribed letters of Miss Darnford and Mrs. Dukes, written a great deal, but nevertheless, as there yet remains one passage in your ladyship's letter, relating to Mrs. Dukes, that seems to require an answer, I will take notice of it, if I shall not quite tire your patience. That passage is this. Lady Betty rightly observes, says your ladyship, that he knew what a vile woman she, Mrs. Dukes, was, when he put you into her power, and no doubt employed her, because he was sure she would answer all his purposes, and therefore she should have had very little opinion of the sincerity of his reformation, while he was so solicitous in keeping her there. She would, she says, had she been in your case, have had one struggle for her dismission. Let it have been taken as it would, and he that was so well pleased with your virtue must have thought this a natural consequence of it, if in earnest to become virtuous himself. But alas, madam, he was not so well pleased with my virtue for virtue's sake, as Lady Betty thinks he was. He would have been glad, even then, to have found me less resolved on that score. He did not so much as pretend to any disposition to virtue. No, not he. He had entertained, as it proved, a strong passion for me, which had been heightened by my resisting it. His pride, and his advantages both of person and fortune, would not let him brook control, and when he could not have me upon his own terms, God turned his evil purposes to good ones, and he resolved to submit to mine, or rather to such as he found, I would not yield to him without. But Lady Betty thinks I was to blame to put Mrs. Dukes upon a foot, in the present I made on my nuptials with Mrs. Jervis. But I rather put Mrs. Jervis on a foot with Mrs. Dukes, for the dear gentleman had named the sum for me to give Mrs. Dukes, and I would not give Mrs. Jervis less, because I loved her better, nor more could I give her on that occasion, without making such a difference between two persons equal in station. On a solemnity, too, where one was present and assisting, the other not, as would have shown such a partiality, as might have induced their master to conclude. I was not so sincere in my forgiveness, as he hoped from me, and as I really was. But a stronger reason still was behind, that I could, much more agreeably, both to Mrs. Jervis and myself, show my love and gratitude to the dear good woman, and this I have taken care to do. In the manner I will submit to your ladyship, at the tribunal of whose judgment I am willing all my actions, respecting your dear brother, shall be tried. 
and I hope you will not have reason to think me a too profuse or lavish creature. Yet, if you have, pray, my dear lady, don't spare me, for if you shall judge me profuse in one article, I will endeavour to save it in another. But I will make what I have to say on this head the subject of a letter by itself, and am, meantime, your ladyship's most obliged and obedient servant. P.B. End of Letter 16